You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley. And I'm Kirsten Oates. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Welcome, everyone, to this podcast recording of Turning to the Mystics with Jim Finley. I'm joining you in my role as program designer for the CAC and just letting you know that at the CAC, the Centre for Action and Contemplation, we are trying to create some more responsive programming to the uh, terrible and unexpected chaos that we've found ourselves in as a result of the coronavirus. We're so lucky to have someone like Jim Finley on our faculty who has not only a depth of knowledge and embodied um, experience in the Christian mystics, but also worked for many years as a psychotherapist. And so what's happening now really touches on one of Jim's core teachings, uh, the spirituality of healing. And so, Jim, we're so grateful that you've taken time out of your day to spend with us uh, responding to the virus. And uh, before we get started, I'll just let everybody know that you're at home in your study in California. I'm at home in mine. And Corey, our producer, is also on with us in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, So we've been in the um, Shelter Inn experience for at least a week. And um, Jim, we're so grateful to have this time with you today. Thank you. Yes. (coughs) Thank you, uh, Kirsten. Uh, yeah, I was so, uh, when you called me and said that the staff there at CAC was talking about how timely it would be to say something about what's going on, to kind of ground these teachings of the mystics and the suffering of the real world, um, this connection between the mystical traditions and social justice, the corporal works of mercy, that it heightens our response to suffering. And mm. so it seems so timely and kind of providential, important that we can do this. So I'm, I'm glad we can do it now. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Jim. And when we spoke about uh, the podcast overall, uh, we thought that we will continue on with these more responsive podcasts for a while. Um, we're estimating at least four weeks mm-hmm. of uh, recording a new podcast each week um, in response to what's happening in that moment. Uh, alongside your evergreen depth of teaching that really um, stands the test of time in terms of responding to crises like these. Yes. And then what we'll do then, after these three or four, four, whatever that is, we'll just pick up where we left off with with Merton and we'll probably move next into Teresa of Avila as mm-hmm. the next message. We'll just continue on with the series. So this is kind of a, a, kind of a hiatus to ground these mystical reflections in like the suffering that we're all going through right now, how our groundedness in the mystics can help us to be present to this in a spiritually grounded way. So, yeah. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Jim, and I'll hand over to you to lead us through uh, today. Thank you. Thank you, Christian. Yes, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to follow the same format that we've been following and turning to the mystics. That is, I'll share with you a reflection, kind of a poetic, experiential reflection on kind of grounding ourselves in the richness of the mystical lineage of the Christian tradition. Uh, one in spirit with the mystical lineage of all the world's great religions and in some poets, philosophers, or those who serve the poor. And then I'll share with you a way to meditate or pray as a way to experientially ground ourselves in the spiritual truth embodied in the reflection that we can then carry out of that daily meditation practice a way to help us be present to this crisis in a more compassionate, grounded, authentic, uh, and helpful way. And um, then we'll end uh, with a meditation. We'll sit, I'll ring the bell, and we'll bow and uh, do a sit, say the Lord's Prayer. And so that'll be our format for each of these. So with that, then I'll begin. Let's say here is a kind of a devotional practice. We begin by 
kind of a, like a visualization practice that we're, we're approaching Jesus with our hearts heavy with these fears of the pandemic for ourselves, for our family, the, the, the dis- disturbing statistics that we're seeing on the, on the media and uh, something that may go on for a while, get worse, and kind of the, the breaking down of the societal structures on whom we tend to depend for our security, um, kind of the uncertainty of it all. <clears throat> and so we're, we're, we're approaching Jesus then with our hearts are heavy with these concerns. And as we approach Jesus in this kind of, um, kind of waking dream, we, as we approach Jesus, we see that he's already engaged with people who are asking him a question. And the Pharisees are asking him, you know, uh, Lord, you know, Rabbi, teacher, you know, out of, all, out of all your teachings, what is the teaching? You know, that's the greatest teaching. That is out of all your commandments. What it is that succinctly epitomizes everything that you're saying. And we also sense that while the Pharisees may be there in their attempts to trick him, the disciples that are there, among whom we would consider ourselves, were keenly interested in what he's going to say. That because we sense that in the presence of Jesus, we're in the presence of God, and in the parables and in the stories that he says, we sense the beauty of his teachings, and they're beautiful because they're true, because he conveys to us the truth of God, God's presence in our life. And uh, so we're, we're keenly interested in what is this truth? That is, what, 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 is, the, what is the truth um, in the light of which all the other truths that he expresses can be understood? That is, what is the truth that grounded in that truth? Everything that he teaches about us and God kind of falls into place. And therefore we assume that really then, this really will set the context for our fears about the pandemic. See, because if we can then see our fears about the pandemic in the context of this truth, see, we're already kind of in a, in a, in a kind of a teaching moment for the healing of our fears. And so what does Jesus say? And first of all, I think it was, and I think also when someone like Jesus is asked a question like this, we're especially attentive. See, how would the teacher um, distill out the essence that's, that's ribbon through everything that the teacher says? And Jesus, Jesus does not say uh, the first truth, the most important commandment, is to believe that God exists. So we might say that we believe that God exists. We could say that God exists. To move in a little bit closer, he doesn't even say to, he doesn't even say to the greatest commandment is to believe in God, like to entrust ourselves to God. You know, like in Alcoholics Anonymous, where the, the, the recovering alcoholic um, admits that they're powerless over alcohol. We would say we're powerless over our fear. And then they would say that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity which is their higher power, which is God. But this will happen uh, only if we hand ourselves over to the care of God. Can we be delivered from this? So just as the recovering alcoholic says, Lord, I don't know who you are, but I do know who you are. You're the one who saved my life. And I don't know who I am, but I do know because I'm the one you saved. We're drawing into this very intimate uh, kind of faith groundedness in this uh, um, love, this relationship in which we're set free and liberated. But Jesus just doesn't say that. He goes, he, he moves in closer to entrust ourselves to God. He said the greatest commandment is to love God. This is Matthew 22, verses um, 34 to 40, I think. He says, to, he said, the greatest commandment is to love God. And not just to love God, but to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second commandment is like to it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. So here then, 
I would suggest that under the auspices of these words, this great teaching, um, we can then ground ourselves in an inner clarity that will give, will give a context to the liberation from our fears of, of where we are, our very understandable fears about the pandemic, fears for ourselves, for our family, for our loved one, for society, for the world. And so how do we get at this then? We say that Jesus here is now speaking theologically as the Christ. Another way of looking at it, we would say Jesus is a Jewish mystic. And uh, he speaks to us this truth, that, that in his presence, we sense we're in the presence of God. And that in his words are the, are the intonations of God's voice in our heart. And so how are we then to, how are we to listen in like this? And, uh, uh, and, and f- I think here first, when we were looking at this, when we were reflecting on Merton, is we're looking at this now in terms of the ancient wisdom of uh, contemplative Christianity, the timeless wisdom of the contemplative worldview, this way of understanding ourselves, others, and all things in the light of creation. So here's how we might say it poetically. This is all the mystic kind of like echoing this vision understanding of creation is that ultimately speaking just one thing is happening that the infinite presence of God is presencing itself or is pouring itself out or giving itself away whole and complete in and as the gift and the miracle of our very presence the presence of others the presence of all things in our nothingness without God that that's the mystery. Ultimately speaking, that's what's happening. And since love is the overflowing fullness of presence, <clears throat> we can say, ultimately speaking, just one thing is happening. The infinite love of God is pouring itself out, emptying itself, and giving itself away in and as the intimate immediacy of our very presence, the presence of others, the presence of all things. So love then, this infinite love of God then, is our origin. The infinite love of God is our sustaining ground. If at the count of three, God would cease loving us into the present moment, at the count of three, we'd vanish because we're nothing, we're absolutely nothing apart from the infinite love of God that is the very reality of our life. And the love of God is our origin. This infinite love is our ground, is, is our destiny is our eternal destiny. And um, um, and so next we can say then, there are certain moments, this is our faith, like an obscure certainty in our heart, like a primitive inner assurance, Gabriel Marcel says. This is our faith, that there are certain moments we realize this, maybe with great intensity, or maybe ever so subtle, subtle, subtle. So uh, in the midst of nature, uh, like lying awake at night listening to the rain or giving ourselves over to the smell of a blood-red rose or uh, in the arms of the beloved or reading a child a goodnight story or a quiet hour alone at day's end or in the pause between two lines of a poem or in a prayer or in an act of being there for someone who's suffering to be how can I be helpful. There are certain moments our heart is quickened by the intimate realization of what faith proclaims. That, and in these little, in these quickenings, these awakenings, we, we taste for ourselves. See, like, what a fool I am to worry so the way I sometimes do. That, that nothing is missing in all directions. We, we serendipitously have found our way into this, uh, this uh, abiding love of God that is life, is reality itself. But then we also see how these moments fade, they tend to be very fleeting. They fade away from us. And then, then there's another one, there's another one. And pretty soon, we can start to become aware of our tendency not to be aware of this infinite love that ultimately alone is real. See? And so our, this is what Jesus meant, you have eyes to see and you do not see. And so our prayer becomes, Lord, that I might see. There are fleeting moments, I see this. I see the truth that you're, you and your love for me are giving yourself to me as the very miracle of me, 
and of others in all things. We subsist. I, I am subsisting in you like uh, light subsists in flame. There's a certain moment I sense it. But I, but I also see how I, I tend not to see it. I tend not to see it. So here then it seems then, uh, this is the kind of the uh, kind of the poetic image we're kind of moving toward here, that we, we can't get the ocean into a thimble, but we can drop the thimble into the ocean, and we are that thimble. In a certain moment, we realize this. In God, we live and move and have our being. And in these moments of realizations, we see that fear has no foundations. And uh, and then we see how we how that slips away from us. So there's that in us that sees this, these moments. Say, I will, I will not break faith with my awakened heart. And then there's that in me that doesn't see it yet, which is the me that still gets reactive, still gets overwhelmed, still gets flooded by fear, such as with the pandemic. We're just human beings. We're just human beings. And this is a way of starting to move in closer, I think, to how to understand ourselves in the presence of Christ, in the presence of God, and what this deep healing consists in, like this. And uh, there's another mystery in this, too, for us to consider. And the mystery is this, and this is really the mystery of the cross, too. That, that in these moments of realization, and we look, at our, we look out at the world, we begin to understand God as a presence that protects us from nothing, even as God unexplainably sustains us in all things. That this presence of God, it, it, it doesn't protect us from the from from the death, from the illness, from the fear of the loss of the beloved, from the suffering of this world. We just look out at the world and we see all the suffering. It's like the view from the cross. It's like the view from the cross. We are not protected. God depends on us to be there for and with each other. That wherever there is suffering, we lean in close to touch the hurting place with love, to touch the hurting place with love in ourselves and others. We're grounded in a peace that's not dependent on the outcome of our efforts. Because we're grounded in the peace of God, it isn't dependent on anything, for it is rather the peace upon which everything depends. So here then it seems to me then as the kind of the poetic imagery that allows us to develop a certain sensitivity or a certain sensibility to understanding the the intimate nature of uh, this situation in which we find ourselves together on this earth as human beings. That I am sustained... I am being sustained in this moment, in each passing moment of my life, by this love that's giving itself to me as my very life. I am sustained. And the unfolding unforeseeability of life circumstances. And I ever shall be sustained on up to the moment of my death and beyond. Uh, the moment that is approaching even as I speak. It's approaching for you even as you listen to me. That the deathless beauty of ourself shines bright and invincible in the fleetingness of our life in this world. And we see, too, as we look out, that we see our neighbors, those around us, are in the same boat. You know, we're all, we're all in this together. The deathless beauty of the beloved, Gabriel Marcel says, we know we learn to love someone when we've seen in them that which is too beautiful to die. We know we've learned ourselves. We see that in us that is too beautiful to die. But this deathless beauty of ourself is glimpsed fleetingly like this, and then gets so easily overtaken by the part that doesn't see it yet, that's still reactive, still gets overwhelmed. See? So it isn't just that we're all bound together in this invincible love that is, sustains us unexplainably, but we're bound together in the communal fragility of ourself in the invincible love that sustains us so inexplicably, so mysteriously, like this. So this then is this then is the is the image that I offer. This the spiritual worldview. Uh, we we don't live in a society that uh, cultivates the sensitivity, which is at the heart of the gospel. And each world religion has its own language for this, but this is the lifeblood of religious consciousness. This is what I'm speaking here now, sharing with you, like this. 
And so this is our reflection. And so I'd like to suggest then a meditation for you. Now one meditation might be, uh, see here's the thing, I think we see that unless we're faithful to a daily rendezvous with God, to kind of sit, sit quietly in a, in, a, in a place apart, to get regrounded in the presence of God and the truth and the beauty of this, having our, the taproot of our heart anchored in this, that the, the, the intensity and density of the day-by-day flooding of the images of the pandemic and who knows what else we're going through in our own life. This is very, very personal because some of us are more robust than others and some of us are carrying internalized traumas and abandonments. So this present traumatizing things that the society further activates this. So this, we need to be very vigilant and watch over ourselves, and to help each other and be there for each other. So in this fidelity, we can sit and reflect on this, would be the meditation. But here's an, a, a specific meditation that helps me, has helped me in the past with this. You know, it says in the Gospels that Jesus spent whole nights in prayer. So in this kind of waking dream, imagine that you're alone in the garden, um, in a remote place where Jesus is there praying through the night. And you're there, and your heart is heavy with the fears of the pandemic. And you're searching for Jesus, trusting that in the oneness with Jesus, that you might be released from this. See, how to be free of the tyranny of fear in the midst of your fear. Free from the tyranny of death in the midst of death. How in the presence of Jesus we might experience this experiential salvation. You also know in the waking dream that Jesus knows you're there, there looking for him. And you walk along, it's a full moon, and there you see Jesus at the edge of a clearing, and you intuit in the dream that he's waiting for you. And you walk over, and you kneel down on the ground at his feet, and you can feel his hand on your shoulder, and you lean in real close, and you whisper in his ear your fear. And you sense that he's listening, like infinitely listening, understanding infinitely more than you do the texture of your fear, and understanding infinitely more than you do the love that's sustaining you in it. And he just listens. And when you've spent yourself, like pouring out your fear, you pull back, and he leans in real, real close, and he whispers in your word, in your ear, that which releases you from the tyranny of fear. So the question is, tell me, what's he say? It's the meditation. Like, speak, Lord, your servant listens. There's another way of looking at this. Teresa of Avila talks about interlocutions or inner words of God. And she says a a locution is a word of God that creates what it says. So when Jesus says in the gospel, do not be afraid, like fear not, Jesus leans in real close and you hear the words of Jesus resonating in your heart and not be afraid. And in Jesus' words, not to be afraid, you're liberated from the tyranny of fear and the midst of fear. It doesn't mean you're still not afraid. Because you're just a human being. You have to go back out and turn on the TV and be caught up in whatever it is you're going through with all this. But it does mean the taproot of your heart is experientially grounded in this love that utterly transcends the darkness of this world and sustains you in this darkness of this world. And so this, this, is, this, this is this experiential salvation. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Because everyone you see is a variation of yourself. Everyone's walking around. So how can you be a healing presence in a traumatized world? That is, how can you, in your own groundedness, be there for and with others? Not just how can I be helpful in the practical realities, your family, your children, whatever this is, you're in your situation, I'm in mine. But how can they, how can you become someone in whose presence the sharing of their fears, they might get a taste of this depth dimension of this loving presence is sustaining them in the fear so that we then kind of pass on uh, the, these, these healing energies uh, th- uh, throughout the world within ourselves. So in the light of that then, uh, I ask you to invite me to, uh, to join me then in the meditation. And um, 
had to print out the words to the Lord's Prayer because I forget the words to the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> and, um, and so here we're going to just sit just for a few moments. But of course, on your own day by day, as you sit with this, if you're so inclined to listen to this, and sit, you can sit as your, as your heart inclines you to sit in a situation allows. <clears throat> so in the spirit, then, I invite you to uh, sit straight and uh, bow. <clears throat> and to interiorly whisper it, repeat after me. <clears throat> Be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. sit then for a few moments in silent prayer, meditation, and with the Lord's Prayer. say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Mary, Mother of Contemplatives, pray for us. St. Francis of Assisi, pray for us. St. Clare, pray for us. Blessings. Thank you. Till next time. Now, um, I'd like to move from this uh, meditation to a a dialogue with Kirsten Oates here. kind of listening for, with, for herself and then listening uh, on your behalf for questions that might come up um, or questions that might arise in um, uh, the implications, the far-reaching implications of seeing life in this way, the situation in this way as it applies to each one of us. So engage in this dialogue now. Yes. Thanks, Jim. I was really struck... Um, by the the way you said that um, when Jesus said, fear not, he wasn't uh, suggesting that we be released from our fear, our human fear, but that we are released from the tyranny of fear in the midst of fear. Can you, can you explain that a little bit? How, how would that feel yeah. to me? Yes, yes. I, I want to use it in specifically Christian terms first and apply it to us. Or let's say Jesus is this kind of um, the incarnate presence of God as the human experience itself. Uh, that in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, it says Jesus sweat blood in really severe trauma because he saw crucifixions. You know, they were an extremely cruel, kind of violent death. And uh, so 
See, let this cup pass from me. If it possible, let this cup pass from me. So in sweating blood, he was in a severely traumatized state. See? Which means then, he's, he's one with us in our traumatized state. And um, there's a, 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 a priest, a Franciscan priest, William McNamara, lived as a hermit for a while. I gave a talk once his community. He's passed away now. I think he's passed away. <laughs> And he said, you know, if you cut off the, if you saw off a tree, you see the rings of the tree there. But it's important to know that those rings were not the entire length of the tree, you know. So the life of Christ is just the rings, like God's oneness with us in suffering runs up the entire thing. We fill up what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. And so, and then when he hung on the cross, not only was he in this executed state, but then see, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He lost faith. In other words, he, he prayed to the God he could no longer find. Like this. So in a sense, out of love for us, he becomes identified with us as precious in our trauma. And so we're, we're not exempt from trauma. When we, when we get overwhelmed and afraid because we've lost someone, or we look out at the world, we're afraid, we're just very, very scary things happen to us. And so much so, we can momentarily lose uh, experiential access to that love we know is there. And that helps us have empathy. For those of us, if we have the gift of faith to reground us in the love we know is there, we can have empathy with those who aren't able to experientially ground themselves in it. And that's how we're woven. We all belong to each other. The, the we, uh, our suffering doesn't belong to us. Our suffering, we're all woven into each other like this. And God's love is woven into our trauma like this. And I, I would answer, I'd put it that way. And Jim, do you think at a time like this, like it feels like um, we're at extremes. Like there's a there's a like a communal fear that um, kind of we're, we're triggering each other with our own personal fears. So so the sense of fear seems to be be at an extreme. Does that provide more of an opening for the sense of that love or that infinite presence? It it uh, you know in terms of the big arc of history. In, in, in scriptural terms, this would be like the experience of the fall of Jerusalem when Jerusalem fell. Where in, in times of St. Augustine, the fall of the Roman Empire, okay, where the Black Plague sweeping through, that, that we all kind of rely on the kind of the constancy of the structures of society, you know, the norms and the patterns, and, and we, we, we tend to rely on those, like, almost like an unquestioned sense. So all of a sudden, when, when it breaks open, uh, there's a little Zen story about, you know, these Zen masters, the tradition, they hold this little fan. The tradition is made of rhinoceros horn. And um, so uh, there's a little koan where the Zen master says to the student, get my rhinoceros horn fan. And he says, master, the fan is broken. He said, well, then get me the rhinoceros. See? And Thomas Merton, when he commented on that, also reflecting on the, the Asian journal, a talk he had with the Dalai Lama. See, the structures are broke. We, we tend to say we have this faith in the structures. We also have faith in our ego self that's formed in those structures. See? So when it starts to break open, we start to break open. That's what trauma is, that we can tolerate anything as long as the center holds to face it. Because it's very scary when the center starts to go. See? And so we're in, we're in a kind of a collective traumatization so what we're looking for is how to ground ourselves in a love that transcends it. Not to flee from it, but to give us the courage and the strength to be authentically present in it as one more scared person among a lot of scared people. But as someone we hope and trust, the tyranny of our fear is healed by the love that sustains us in our fear. And we're kind of like that with ourselves. We're like that with each other. That's our. That's the sense of it. I think. Yeah, yeah. that really uh, resonates with me when you were saying that um, unconsciously we're so uh, reliant on societal structures, and then you took it a step deeper that our ego is kind of formed in relationship mm -hmm. to the the sense of the safety in those structures. So it's a really challenging time when it is. When I work with people in therapy, you know, with with, um, with, with trauma, I mean, you're really working with somebody who uh, has been in the presence of an overwhelming event, and they can't get their balance. Mm. They can't get their balance, and so 
um, this is why this is so universally personal. You know, this touches you because it activates our own, and this is why we need to be very present to it and very respectful of it. So how can we ground ourselves in this love through prayer? And then also, where can we reach out to just one other person, just one other person whom we know we're not alone in this? Maybe that's the value of what we're sharing right now with people. If through this, they can be touched by knowing that they're not alone in it. Um, and this is how we then are collectively move on together as we find our way through this. See? Again, grounded in an inner peace is not dependent on the outcome of the effort for us because we are unexplainably sustained regardless of the outcome by human terms. There's this love that takes us to itself unexplainably. But we do our best to protect ourselves and others as best we can. And I think that's our task. That's our challenging task. Yeah. yeah. And then... Uh, this faith can be built on um, partly knowing that throughout history, this is how Christianity has grown and sustained itself. There's been many instances yeah. of, of this happening um, where people's faith have sustained them through really challenging things. It's really true. Not just the crisis of society to the community, but also the crisis of faith itself and leaders in the church and brokenness. Like, yeah. I always share with people, you know, at the Last Supper, there was a traitor at the table. Things weren't off to a good start. Yeah. See? So just brokenness everywhere, like fragmented. But the thing is, what is the invincible light that tenderly shines out through the broken places? And how can we reground ourselves in it to touch the broken places with love that they might dissolve in love? Like that's the tonal quality, I think, of what we're saying here. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Um, when you talk about there's there's a part of us that has glimpses of this and has a real knowing about that light that shines through yeah. the broken. But then the part of us that still doesn't. And yeah. when you say um, our hope and our faith tells us not to f- flee from the the tragedy but to, to stay try and stay present to it and, and find mm. our way to that depth, I've noticed in myself and uh, in friends and family this kind of um, primal... Uh, fear response that arises. And, and so I, I, I think psychotherapists, the fight, flight, or freeze, yeah. this, this kind of response. And um, I just wondered if you could speak to that and how we might become more self-aware and help ourselves in that, those moments. Yeah, really. I want to say something, too, of just the vulnerability of all this. This is not to divert from it. Is that this is especially um, poignant for me because of my own history of trauma mm. and sitting with trauma people for 30 years in therapy and knowing that my dearly beloved wife just died a week ago right here in this house, kind of broken, 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 broken. Uh, my oldest daughter who is here with me is a hospice nurse in a hospital. And one of the very first cases here in this county uh, was, she was in the hospital where she works. So she's, she has to go in tomorrow to admit people into hospice in the hospital. And so she's to take her notes and go out and write her notes in in the car to go in so she's not unnecessarily exposed. And so she's concerned about herself, then she goes home to her children. So so we all have our story. What I mean is this gets, Mm -hmm. this is universally personal Mm -hmm. for for each one of us. And um, and I think that's that's the context Mm -hmm. for it. So your question was what then you were asking. Then I I was just asking... Like in terms of um, your experience in psychotherapy, like help us with the the way fight, flight, or or fright yeah, yeah, arises. Yeah, 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 a fight. Yeah. Sorry. <clears throat> well, let's say for I would put it in a therapeutic stance, and what's the spiritual ground of it? Mm-hmm. Let's say that the, the the fight or flight response is a deep survival strategy that's somatically grounded in all of us. The fight or it's a survival strategy, fight or flight, and properly understood. It preserves life. Mm-hmm. It pres- preserves for the flight is to do what we can to avoid the destructive event and to help others avoid it. To fight means to set a boundary against it, like to fight, not to passively get into it, but effectively set the boundary in it. So we might say all those right now that are working in the medical field and with the sick, they're fighting mm-hmm. in this sense of fighting, of setting a boundary to work through all this, and we're one with them in spirit. There's all of that, and. Uh, and that's, that's important, uh, I think. You know, I mean, that grace empowers us mm-hmm. to set boundaries and to, and to be protective and be nurturing, all of that. Mm-hmm. But what we're, saying, what we're saying is this. 
But what about all those for whom we see on the news every day, they count the numbers of those that went under in this illness? And then we say, we can't, we can't rule out that one of our loved ones might be one of those who might die. We can't rule out that you and I and some of those listening right now might be among those who are died. What then? So if my base of operation is, is nothing deeper than the self that things happen to, mm-hmm. so if I fight or flight, what if I, so how can I, as a human being, sink the taproot of my heart in a presence that transcends my ordinary humanity, at the same time utterly permeates it through and through and through and through and empowers me to be present to do the best I can to be a nurturing person, a protective person, a healing person, in a piece that isn't dependent on how that might turn out specifically for me or my loved ones or whatever. And I think that's the courageous, you know, I think mean, that's mm-hmm. the spirit here, I think. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I, I certainly felt that myself... Um, when I was sitting in the background here in your meditation and when you invited us to um, whisper in Jesus's ear our greatest fear yeah. and then uh, you said, uh, and what does he say? Is it, what does he say yeah. to you? Yeah. So there's something even in not knowing what I'd say to him and what he'd say back to me, but just in that opportunity, I could even feel some comfort Yes. And I love the saying of Thomas Merton. He says, in the spiritual order, to understand means to understand that you're understood. Mm. And by the way, I think there's something else here for all of us. We look at it this way. There is the fear of the pandemic. But based on what we're going through at the time, that might not be our deepest fear. See, the fear of the pandemic may be activating or energizing our deepest fear, which mm-hmm. might be something much closer to home. Yeah. And that's what we tell Jesus. You know, that's what yeah. we take. We, we go as we are in our fears because we're loved as we are and sustained as we are in our fears. That's, what, that's the intimacy of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Um, just to share with uh, people listening, I, I've just noticed personally my response is is freeze. You know, like I, I really freeze up and want to get small and um, con- my body contracts and um, – but being with you and listening to that meditation, I could feel, you know, that opening up, something bigger, something deeper. So I, yeah. I really appreciate what you're offering there. Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, see, that's what makes us so incarnate, see, is all of us, all of us have little survival strategies inside, mm-hmm. you know, that we know if we're faithful to them, we get a little more grounded, present. See. And we need to take... Sometimes when we get really afraid, we're neglectful of our, you know, we panic. So it might be real, real, you know, a long, hot shower, a walk around the block, a phone call, um, making muffins, uh, having a sip of tea, sitting and looking out the poor, whatever that is. Yes. Whatever these rituals of nurturance are, these simple human rituals are, that we, that we know we're not neglectful of that. Mm-hmm. And then in that rested state, we sink our taproot into this thing and move forward as best we can. Uh, yeah. That's really yeah. helpful. That's really helpful, Jim. So some like stay with the practical things that help relax your system and allow yeah. you to practice more fully. That's right. I think another sensitive thing about this is that if we don't get close enough to the hurting place to touch it, we can't heal it. Yeah. But if we get too close too soon, the energy that in it overwhelms us. See? And I think that's why sometimes we pretend that we care less than we do because we've opened our heart to care. We feel we've swept away. Mm. So we're learning the art form of modulating our tolerance to back off, to get a deep breath, to get regrounded, not to run in the other direction, but to continue to come back again to touch the hurting place mm. and ourself and the people that we love. And I think that's the artistry of uh, compassion, really, I think, mercy. Mm -hmm. One other thing I just wanted to touch on from the meditation today that you talked about places where we might feel that tap, the depth of that taproot, and you talked about in the midst of nature um, that we might have tasted the abiding love of God or, you know, in in, in a moment, but we we can't grip onto it. Um, And I... This morning, um, I'm fortunate enough to live by the ocean and uh, my husband and I took our dogs to the beach and I was just so struck 
by the beauty of the waves rising and crashing and the sound and I, I just had this sense of um, as it crashed just the exploding beauty and kind of sense of something beautiful and deep and wonderful but then it's gone, the wave's gone and yeah. um, and maybe that's kind of resonant with what you were expressing. It is. I love this saying, you know, Chalk and Trumpa Rinpoche, the Vajrayana Buddhist teacher in Boulder. I love that saying he has. He says, our raw and beautiful heart. Mm. And it's really true. It's really true that the trauma can overwhelm us, and, and it can. Mm-hmm. But all, what's also true, there's like an, un, there's like an unexpected uh, ability to see the eloquence of something. Mm. In the midst of pain, you know, it's a very par- enigmatic experience. Mm-hmm. In the very midst of it, it actually opens us up. You see, that my I was talking to a, my youngest daughter lives in she's in Cleveland, Ohio, right now, and I used to live there, and so she was walking in the woods, and uh, she turned and showed the camera walking through the woods. Oh. And I can remember when I lived in Ohio, the woods, and when I was in the monastery, I used to take long walks in the woods, and there's something like the ocean or the mountains or the woods or, you know, a single flower or a slant of light across the floor. I love this saying by Carl Jung. He says, how can we claim the years have taught us anything if we haven't learned to sit and listen to the secret that whispers in the brooks? And so the whole world bodies forth this love. And it's such simple moments as that, you know, the waves crashing on the beach. Mm-hmm. And it's like a a memento in our heart that it puts us back in touch again what's always there yeah 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 that's beautiful do you do you feel that that the saying like the veil is thin um does it feel like a time like that for you jim it does you know that celtic thing about thin places mm-hmm. and uh see i think what we're saying here is every place is a thin every place what it is is that in our fear the world is opaque to this love as, but love casts out fear. So whether it be love of a person and silent, whatever the modality is, the horizon of this world becomes translucent to the love. Mm-hmm. And then, so the, the thinness is really, the thickness is really in our own heart. You know, mm-hmm. the thickness is the layered, internalized traumas in a band. You, we have, I have my struggles, you have yours. Mm-hmm. But then we realize that everything is diaphanous. I mean, everything is thin. I mean, everything we kind of, we can see it meekly shining through. I think that's what meditation practice is. Mm-hmm. I think meditation practice is, uh, the Buddha talks about neither perceiving nor not perceiving. It's like a very subtle state. Is it possible to be vulnerable and and safe at the same time mm-hmm. in a kind of a trusting stance of being sustained in the miracle of a single breath? Mm. Uh, like that. And so I think we have to get acclimated staying in that space long enough so it can have its way with us. Mm. Another way I put it is that that which is essential never imposes itself. That which is unessential is constantly imposing itself. But by a higher order of wisdom of the awakened heart, we can give ourselves over to that which is essential in the midst of that which is unessential and be a more grounded person in the midst of our situation. That's That's the path we're all on, I guess. Trying to. Thank you, Jim. Some closing words um, just to recognize the encouragement here to continue with the practice. Um, but in the silence, you've said before, you know, just just take whatever time you need. Maybe you can only do a minute right now or maybe you need an hour, but be, be right. gentle with yeah. yourself. Yeah, and I would say this too, and I want to say this thing about the people of have to my silent retreats over the years. I'm speaking here out of kind of mystical Catholicism, out of my own tradition. But I've also been profoundly influenced by the Dharma. Mm-hmm. And so I think what we need to do is what is our venue of transformation? Yep. So for us, it might be art or poetry or silence or being vulnerable in the presence of that person in whose presence we're taken to the deeper place. Or what is that you know, what is that act that when we give ourselves over to it with our whole heart, we're taken to the deeper place? We may not even identify with any religious tradition mm-hmm. at all. But there, there is that, that taproot, that grounding place. And so each of us needs to find our own place that grants entrance into the deeper place. 
you know, be faithful to that. And then respect kind of the beauty of the, uh, the plurality of these modalities of awakening mm-hmm. and uh, that each of us can help and support each other in our own space. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you, Jim. Um, and then uh, we'd also like to invite questions um, in, this, in these new podcasts, um, it's trying to be more responsive. So to be able to uh, answer questions that, that arise, we just ask people to be really succinct in their question or their comment so, so that we can turn them around in a week or two. Um, so please, please send Jim some questions, and, but as succinct as they can be, just a couple of sentences and then we can... And, and they know how to do that, the format to t- print yes. those, to send it. It's, yeah, so that, that that's in the show notes and mentioned at the, at the very end of the podcast. Yeah. So thanks, Jim. Um, before we go today, uh, I just do want to acknowledge, um, Jim, the passing of your beloved wife, Maureen, Mm-hmm. And that's only happened uh, less than a week ago. That's right. Yeah. And so I wanted to ta- thank you for being with us as a community, even in the midst of your own grief. And I wanted to, on behalf of the community, let you know how sorry we are that you've lost Maureen yeah. and that we yeah. uh, stand in solidarity with your grief. Thank you for that very much. I appreciate that so much. Yeah, that's a r- really, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jim. We love you, Jim Finley, and we're so glad you're here to help us at this time. It helps me to help you. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I'm grateful for it. (laughs) Seriously. Good. Okay, great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Center for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. Please consider rating it, writing a review, or sharing it with a friend who might be interested in learning and practicing with this online community. To learn more about the work of James Finley, please visit jamesfinley.org. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.